All right. Hopefully everybody has a little outline there you could take home with you or follow along if you like. It's called Faith, Love, Revelation, and the Resurrection. And um, I had this really silly kind of thing happen I, uh, this morning. I was thinking about how we take the promises and we apply them and, and all of that. And um, I just... Uh, Got so full of faith uh, this morning. It was amazing. I I, uh, I just felt like something came on me, and it was the Lord just uh, encouraging us to go for it, to keep praying for one another, to keep seeking God's face. Um, and in this resurrection story is faith, love, and revelation that is supposed to be applied to your everyday life. It's not just an event that happened a long time ago, but that these things. Faith, love, and revelation God still gives today, and it helps us uh, uh, do business with the Lord. And I do mean do business with the Lord. It might surprise some of you, maybe not most of you, because I recognize a good number of you, but uh, to know that um, we're very, very aware of even resurrections that are happening around the world and even in some of our closest neighborhoods uh, in the Lord. I mean, real live resurrections. We talk about Jesus rising from the dead, but after that happened, the early church also did the same, and the church throughout the world has seen some of his greatest progress from people rising from the dead. And um, one of my favorite songs is Things That We Thought Were Dead or Breathing in Life Again. <laughs> but actually, that happens to people, too. I personally uh, know or have met uh, three people who actually have come back from the dead themselves. And uh, one of them was Samah Habib, who was with us uh, a few years ago. Maybe some of you know, remember them. Another one is my favorite, is Mr. Chun, a gentleman uh, who became one of our pastors in Cambodia. And another one named Robert McNamara, and I was looking for his wife. He's died. He died. He literally died now, but uh, he died before he died, right? Where is Eileen? Is she here? She's not here. I want to read something uh, that she wrote. This is her husband who wrote this book, and it's called Snatched from Hell. And uh, we're talking about resurrection. Thought it would be kind of interesting. Uh, Robert, who we knew for many years here, uh, uh, died, but uh, and and actually went to the wrong place. You know, we hear about people going to the right place. Well, he actually went to the wrong place and wrote a book about it. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't know the Lord. And uh, he was the most amazing person because after that experience happened to him, uh, he became amazing, amazing Christian, amazing believer. He wasn't a believer at all, didn't know the Lord, didn't know hardly anything about the Lord, never hardly been exposed to church. One day he's jogging on the beach, has a heart attack, he falls on the concrete, his teeth are knocked back in the, through his, into his throat, and uh, luckily there happened to be a paramedic nearby was able to save his life. And uh, so the interesting thing is often we've heard about people dying and coming back actually and went to heaven and had a story to tell. He went to hell. The only one I know that's went to hell and lived to tell about it and came back, that God let him come back. And I thought I'd just read, because this is Resurrection Sunday, Eileen McNamara, his wife's testimony, who's a member of our church. Eileen remembers well that faithful late afternoon when Robert did not come home after jogging. Her son was sitting on the steps. She asked him, where's your dad? With a worried look, their son, Shannon, replied that he didn't know. At that point, both Eileen and her son went looking for Robert at the beach. 
The book goes into detail of her search, but what the book does not reveal is what Eileen speaks of now. Upon entering the hospital room, she found Robert strapped to his gurney. The paramedics and doctors told her that they kept him that way because upon pulling him out of the ambulance and transferring him to a gurney, he grabbed the male nurse's arms and threw him across the room. He was murmuring and screaming for God to help him. They did not know if he would continue to be combative, and for this reason he remained strapped down at his arms and legs. After recovering the next day, Robert asked for a Bible. Eileen was shocked. She had been a book buyer and gave Bibles away because he never wanted to read one. And now, even though his vision was blurred, he requested a Bible just to have it next to him on his nightstand. Robert often fell asleep with his hand on the Bible as well as he would lay it in his lap. He told Eileen that he had gone to hell. He also told Eileen that he had learned three things. There is a God, there is a heaven, and there certainly was a hell. He told her there were demons dragging him and that he no longer had any free choice. He had to go where they put him. He said they would torture him and mock him. He also remembered hearing people in the distance seeing a huge chasm with flames bursting through. The horror was unbelievable as he was still alive but had absolutely no freedom of choice whatsoever. He cried out to God and he found himself back in his body. He was afraid and sobbing. From this point on, he had peace and a concrete knowing that God is real. He also came to know that God's word is truth, that after you die, you go to either of these two places. Also, his memories of hell had been so horrific in the hospital that the crying and the screaming lasted several days off and on. Eventually, Robert found peace, and Eileen states that the Lord healed his memory so that, quite frankly, he would not be a basket case anymore. (laughs) So when we knew him, he wasn't a basket case anymore. He's quite productive and uh, actually done a little comedy and... uh, he actually had uh, starred in uh, Night Court and a couple of. He played the bailiff in the 1980s comedy series Night Court. He was married to Eileen, and they have three children, and now the grown adults with children. But anyway, it's interesting knowing a person like that. Always grateful, always very sensitive to God, always aware of what it could have been and where he could have ended up. So we go to church and we talk and we sing and we enjoy each other and everything. The issues really are quite amazing. They're very dramatic. In the movies, we see lots of things. Well, I think we have seen entirely too many movies, right? And usually, you know, in the end, it usually turns out well somehow or another. The person that's in the movie, the star or whatever, goes through a horrible time and then they come back. But in this movie called Life, not everybody comes back. Some do. And those are great testimonies. I'll never forget the first. Uh, I've actually uh, met eight people uh, in India who have actually raised people from the dead. They have some funny stories about that. Uh, one of them here on this in the United States in Mission Viejo, and three. Uh, uh, we'll see this. One, two, eight, and then where's my other one? Oh, and. Uh, Three others as well. I'm trying to get all these counted up, right? So, anyway, um, as I was thinking about this, this story uh, and all these people that have raised from the dead and that we know of, and eight people that have actually prayed for people and they came back, and several that have come back, and uh, like Robert and three others. But my favorite story is Mr. Chu in Cambodia. So it doesn't get more pure than this. Some of you know this story, but I can't heart, uh, stop thinking about him every time um, we come to this day. It's such a special time. So when we did ministry in 
Cambodia, we were in darkest places, places where nobody was a Christian. And we would often, often and still do, uh, minister in slums and horrible places, um, places where people are living above um, some horrible water, you know, uh, where the mosquitoes are and all kinds of things. And they're just on stilts and it's just a nasty, nasty place. Some of the most horrible places on the, in Asia actually are in Cambodia and because uh, of the poverty. And so we used to send teams to these slums, and uh, we would just pray for the sick, and we'd give away food and all kinds of things. And there was this one lady who was particularly interesting because she had this husband who was deathly ill. And we met him, he was still conscious, but uh, it was difficult, and we prayed for him every day, prayed for her all the time, and she was desperate. They were living in a little kind of 10 by 10 hut, and it was on stilts, and it was above this green, slimy swamp. It was the only place they could find land and only place that would allow the poor, those kind of people to live. And so her and her husband, and uh, he got deathly ill, got sicker and sicker. Um, when we got to him, he was completely on his back, prostrate. You know, he couldn't uh, get up. And uh, so one of the ladies in our church would visit them all the time, just kept praying for her. She came to Christ, came to know the Lord. He was too sick. Uh, he was in and out of consciousness uh, and uh, really didn't couldn't hear much of what we were saying and then one day he died and uh, so it was a horrible situation because the people were so poor that what they would have to do is they were going to have to take up the floor of his hut half of the floor to make the coffin because they didn't have enough wood so uh, they didn't have they couldn't afford the wood uh, or anything for a coffin so they took up half of their floor so you look down and there's this half of it's here and then the other is this green slimy watering right it's all single wall everything so they take the they take the wood we made a coffin, put him in it, and uh, uh, knowing that we're going to have to bury him uh, the next day out in the countryside. And one of the girls that had been visiting her, which has felt so much compassion for the wife, she was all alone. So what she did was she she came about five o'clock in the evening and prayed with the lady all night. But she didn't just pray any old kind of prayer. She prayed that the guy would resurrect from the dead. So we had seen a number of miracles like that in Cambodia and um, uh, dramatic things. But I don't know that I, that, uh, that was the first of, of several that we saw that uh, were raised from the dead. That was, but he was our first one. Because what happened was he was in that uh, coffin that they had made, right? And they prayed all through the night and uh, all the way like to, to, that he would be raised from the dead. And when they prayed, uh, uh, he had this experience. And uh, he found himself at uh, some unusual gate and uh, with a person with a book. And he was looking at the book. And uh, so he was finding himself in this place, very, very dark place. And he could see over this water that was boiling and bad people and people moaning and crying and weeping. And this guy was standing there and he was in charge of this place. And so... The guy, so Mr. Chun in his spirit comes to the, the person comes to the, that was in charge, this big dark figure. And, uh, and so he says, uh, hmm, uh, I can't let you in here. Your name's not written here. And uh, then he heard a voice from heaven. And he said, uh, and, he, and the voice told him to turn around and go back. And he saw two paths. One was light and one was dark. And so, being the wise man that he was, he chose the light path. Now, this is all in the spirit world, right? 
And as soon as he began to walk on the light path, he returned to his body. And he was completely healed. He began to eat. He was completely normal. The disease disappeared. Everything. So he was so much pleasure for us to visit him through the years because he actually became a pastor after that. And boy, did he have a testimony to tell. He had a testimony to tell. He knew absolutely nothing about God. The only thing he knew is when the choice came to choose light or darkness, he chose light. Sometimes when people need to respond to Jesus, they get a little ashamed or a little bit um, troubled because they think they have to know too much, right? Maybe they went to school, as a, uh, you know, Sunday school, and they were little or something, and, you know, and then life got busy, and they just started getting farther and farther away from the church, and they don't kind of know the rules, you know, and they feel uncomfortable in church because they don't know. It seems like everybody knows more than they do. And they're not even sure they want to know what everybody else knows. But nevertheless, you know, it still makes them feel uncomfortable. Right? So I love that story so much because he didn't need to know much. He just needed to know he wanted the light and not the darkness. He wanted to change his life. He wanted to, That's all he knew, you know. And then he learned about the gospel after he made the choice and then received the Lord all, you know, formally. And then was baptized and all that and began to walk with the Lord. Uh, all the days of his life. And the funny thing happened, on the first day of it, when he got resurrected, he was walking through the village, this little slum area, and everybody was slamming their doors and slamming their windows, scared to death. And they kept hearing them say, hey, there's a ghost out there, there's a ghost out there. Meaning Mr. Chun, right? So he ran all the way back to his hut. He said, hey, there's a ghost out there. Everybody's shutting their doors. We better shut our door, right? He didn't know he was the ghost. So I thought that's, that's kind of funny, you know. So anyway, uh, and uh, my other favorite story is when we were in India a few years ago and um, we had all these pastors gathered. We have some 30,000 churches in India now, um, meaning we, we've been participating in helping those grow since we were at the 400 mark. And now there's 30,000 of them. And um, I just heard word that we're going... Uh, all the way to the north of India now and the northern states uh, are beginning to plant up there as well. And the goal is to have one in every village of India. Along the way, we've seen uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of eight resurrections, and uh, meaning that we've been out and about praying for people. And we're out in places where nobody knows anything about the Lord. And so some of them are strong Muslim areas, and so Muslims aren't really happy about us evangelizing in there. The only thing that works is power, which is the same way it was in the Bible, right? So the interesting thing was um, um, uh, in these, as we go into these villages and, and areas, uh, sometimes we, we, we have such stiff resistance because we're going to territory and areas that have never, ever heard the name of Jesus. They just know that they're not going to be another religion. They're Muslims, so often there's hostility and there's trouble and everything. We sent one missionary out into some new territory. We were planting churches, and there was just no church in that whole area. He went six months just preaching from village to village every single day, and no one came to the Lord, no one. One day he was in a village, and he was in the village. Uh, he was preaching on the, uh, Jesus and how he rose from the dead, and this guy got really angry. He could see he was getting angrier, and he was wondering what he was going to do. 
he goes and disappears. He's afraid like the guy's going to get a gun or something. But he goes and he gets his dead mother-in-law. She had just died. Dumps her at his feet and says, okay, Jesus raised from the dead. Raise her from the dead. Well, the thing is, in this Muslim village, it's a little serious because if, because they assumed that if he, if that didn't happen, that uh, he was telling lies and he got a good chance of getting stoned or having something really bad. So he was sort of preparing to make an exit. But but he prayed for the woman. And in front of the whole village, she came back to life. And when she came back to life, that entire region, he had been six months preaching every single day for five, six hours a day. No one received Christ. No one. But when that woman raised from the dead, the word got out, and that entire region started becoming Christians, village after village after village, because the testimony spread all the way through the villages. So this risen Christ keeps doing it today. We encounter the risen Christ by faith and by a revelation of God's love. The first believers struggled, the first Christians struggled to recognize the resurrected Jesus, as a matter of fact. And I just want to read a couple of verses from John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. As she turned around and saw Jesus standing at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. And then we see Jesus coming on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples are together with the doors are locked and all. And he says, Peace be with you. That must have been a shocking piece, right? Hello, guys. <laughs> Hello, boys. And so uh, if we look at uh, Luke 24, uh, verses uh, 36 to 46. So these two guys, they're on the road, and they have this guy up here and walking on the road with them. And uh, as they're walking along the road with him, uh, they just 
uh, it's amazing. They just have this amazing bit of revelation, and their hearts are burning, and he opened the scriptures to them, and, uh, and then he just disappeared immediately from their sight. These are some of the sightings that happened after Jesus died. While they're still talking about this, the scripture says, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It's my myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. <clears throat> when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which included him dying, by the way and resurrecting. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day in repentance for the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of sins will preach in his name to all nations, begin at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. So that happened later. And so, um, so that's another sighting, another thing that happened, right? And uh, as we look at this uh, further, if you see it says Jesus appeared to Thomas. Well, Thomas just didn't happen to be there that day uh, when he appeared. And um, he was a little upset, to say the least, right? And uh, and so he says, uh, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples. Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And then he says, well, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with him. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. I think it's that point he stopped. He started believing again. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, This is really important. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So that would go for almost everybody in this room. Now, there may be someone that's had some kind of experience that I'm not aware of, but almost all of us are in that category. As a matter of fact, since this time, that's everybody's category. So we have not seen Jesus in the flesh, but we still believe anyway. And uh, you could say it this way, seeing is believing, but actually in the kingdom, it works out the other way. Believing is seeing. And actually, the interesting thing is, I've probably, you've maybe said to yourself, you know, if I just saw that, I, I, I would definitely respond. Not so. We found actually in the incredible overwhelming evidence, even of those people I told you that were raised from the dead and so on, who knew very well the circumstances, even getting that close to them, it was still a matter of faith. There was something on the inside that they had to change. They had to make a decision themselves. Because the miracle, though you might know about it and even see it, and even Jesus in the flesh in front of you, you know, even you've said to yourself maybe, wow, if I just saw a miracle happen, I would respond. Amazing thing about it, the whole generation in Jesus' day, and they saw all kinds of miracles, blind people walking around and deaf people. And even today... By the way, those aren't just Jesus stories from long ago. 
There's an unparalleled healing movement that's going on throughout the whole world. Even in our own church, we've seen very, very dramatic things happen. And they're still going on. And uh, it's hard to know, you know sometimes because some people, it's their time to go and they go. But there's a lot more people that I think if we just continue to pray and ask God to do it, He'll intervene. And we've seen those things. But it's amazing the depth. Um, even the first Christians struggled to rec recognize the resurrected Jesus when He appeared. It wasn't easy for them because we don't think that way on that plane sometimes, you know. And um, So I like miracles and stuff, but still in the end, it's just an attitude of heart, right? Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of, of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And I am sure totally puzzled about the events that were happening right there in front of them, right? And um, I just think that uh, it's so important to, uh, for us to understand these stories. It's reasonable to assume that an all-powerful creator can design the rules of encounter with himself. And that's just exactly what Jesus did. But here's part of the rules of encounter. And that is faith is involved on our side. Faith is a hard thing sometimes because in the culture generally around us, it's kind of like faith is just believing real strong and have a real positive part of mind. Well, that's the beginning, but I have found over and over again that actually faith is action as well. So that's why we have people stand up and respond. That's why we have baptism. I think one of the reasons why we baptize people is so they will have a profession of faith, so they will do this as an action. They will do something to respond. And often... Um, it's kind of the way God's designed the rules of encounter with Himself. In this, these rules of encounter, faith is a really big deal. And it's got two parts to it. One is that you... And actually, the littler part is, is uh, being positive. I can't tell you how many things have happened to me, how many miracles have happened, financially, physically, spiritually, when I didn't have hardly any positive bones in my body. But I did one thing. I acted on what I believed to be true about God, what He wanted me to do. Shivering, quivering, shaking all the way. That doesn't sound like faith. You know what? That doesn't sound like faith at all. Sometimes it's the way it gets communicated. I've actually found faith different than most people. For me, I figure the greater I'm being terrified and the more I'm having to react in response to that, probably I'm exercising more faith then than if I ever brainwashed myself to... You know, to, to being positive, right? And there's something unreal about brainwashing yourself. But something very real about believing, even in the midst of great trial, even in the midst of great failure, even when you don't think anything, you know. And usually what I do is I'm always looking for um, a way, a, a place to hang my hat, so to speak. I'm always looking for a point of contact with God. Something that I can do to exercise my faith, even though everything inside of me is saying there's just no way this is going to happen. I tell you, that's such a relief. 
I hope that's a relief to you. As a pastor, and especially during these times, I'll tell you, fear is just around every corner. I mean, just turn on the news for three or four hours. Don't even do that. Turn off for an hour. It's enough to terrify you for three weeks. We're losing our country. Oh, my gosh. The Russians are coming. Oh, the Chinese are coming. No, they're both coming. Oh, what are we going to do now? You know, oh, my gosh. Especially in this present atmosphere. Thing is, even in your own life, when you get afraid, there's always something to believe in the Lord for your good. That's why God causes all things to work together for good, for them that love the Lord and call and glory His purpose. Okay, so in that good, often you are a part of the answer, which is very, very interesting. And uh, so, not much. I mean, how are you going to heal anybody or do anything dramatic? You know, sometimes um, healing is so difficult that even the doctors can't figure it out, right? So, we learn from the Scriptures that there's promises. There's things that we can believe about God. And so we just choose to obey. And then what I do is I just choose and look for, okay, God, I'm asking for this miracle. What do you want me to do? That's what I do. I always go, what do you want me to do? I don't say, what do you want me to believe? Because I know my, I'm, my mind is like, okay, I'm 60% with you, God. <laughs> but there's about 40% where this thing's pretty shaky and I'm a little uneasy about it. So what, what do you want me to do? So... I'll, inevitably, I find what I call a wisdom path, some place to walk where it's demonstrating that I'm actually believing on the inside in my heart, but I'm also stepping forward in faith and doing something about it, right? And as far as it's dependent on me. And often I've found that sometimes there's so little that I can do that it's being ridiculous, but I always look for a little seed that I can sow in action towards someone else or something that I can do to get out of that situation. And inevitably, God will show me that, and then another one, and another one. And I'm not saying that I'm earning it. I'm on a journey, a faith journey with God. And I, I just think this is really a, a powerful a way to walk with the Lord. And, and I, I've been um, through so many of these now that I, I realize this is a, a whole lifestyle that I've got. So every time we've expanded around it here, and even like you see the construction out there, man, oh, man. I took a big gulp of that one right here with the pandemic and the whole thing. Man, I just stepped into it. And uh, I knew uh, that it would never happen unless I took risk and I just took the first step and the second step and I had to keep on going. And um, so on the one hand, you get a vision of what's supposed to happen. On the other, then you start taking steps toward as best you can. And there are certain things that you, God always leaves undone that you cannot do. So faith is you do what you, your part, right? And then... Uh, let God do His part. And along the way, you just keep praying and praying and persisting and persisting. And uh, this persistence, by the way, is a big deal. I think some of you who are in business know about persistence. Maybe there are salespeople especially. You know about persistence. And I'm going to say this casually. I'm not really, I don't, I don't want to be sacrilegious here, but let me just say something. Persistence in some ways is omnipotent. <laughs> If you persist enough, you're always going to get some sort of result, even in the world, right? might not be a perfect result that you want, but persistence is powerful. But in the Spirit, it's even more powerful, especially coupled with something you think God wants you to do. So persistence is extremely powerful, very, very powerful. And so we sort of uh, exercise faith in the light 
of God loving us into a place of revelation of what we're supposed to do. You know what? One of the greatest reasons why you need to read the Bible is because it shows you all the good stuff you get. A lot of people don't read the Bible because they're afraid that if they read it, you know, there's all these rules and things and stuff they're violating on every page. God will help you with that. But there's another part of this that you don't know anything about. If you knew the other part of it and people just weren't in your face all the time telling you about the, that part of it, you have to clean that up eventually. God will help you. But you know what? It's hard. You know, it's hard to steer a truck that has no momentum. You ever tried that? <laughs> When the thing's moving forward, though, you begin to steer it in the right direction. And so it is with faith. And, uh, and so this is how we encounter Jesus a lot, by faith. That guy that was out in the middle of the wilderness, you know, in India, man, oh, man. He, he was left with, I mean, I think what he, he told me, he said, you know, I just thought, well, there's that person lying there. You know, maybe I should take off and run as far away as, fa as fast as I can. Maybe they won't catch me, right? But there he was. Instead, he decided, well, I've been beating my brains out for six months and nothing's happened. Maybe this is the opportunity. So he stepped right in there and prayed. And, and to his actual amazement, that's another thing. When miracles happen, sometimes we're as amazed as possible. I mean, as, we're as amazed as anyone. Because confidence isn't brainwashing. It's not getting you into a lather so like you're... Argh. It's a walk with God. Or you might be fearful, but you step forward anyway. Some of you in this room have not been baptized because you're too embarrassed to get before people and get baptized. That's the only reason why you've been baptized. You're just too, you're shy. Some of you haven't received Christ because you're too shy about just coming forward and having a point in time in your life where you just pray to receive Him, right? Or in front of others. Or maybe you haven't received Christ for other silly reasons like, well, I wasn't raised a Christian. I don't know more about much about God, and I just don't want people to see my ignorance about spiritual things. Oh, man, those are really bad reasons not to come to Jesus. And everybody that looks like they know what they're doing, you know, they're generally the most insecure people you ever meet. <laughs> we're, all, we're all basket cases. We're all terrified of our shadow. Come on. And the ones that aren't worry me sometimes. They worry me a little bit. Just a little too like, you know, and uh, and I, I actually in my life I've learned to actually embrace that weakness, and be okay with it, and be okay with no perfection and this and that and uh, boy I tell you what, uh, but sometimes when I feel like I'm on the track of something or another I feel like I'm on a, uh, on my way to a miracle and I'm walking through steps of faith, turns in here I, I become like a bloodhound I become like uh, powerful because I realize I've done this so many times that I get uh oh that door open that's good I'm on my way oh stop what do I do oh there it is boom boom and you get going like that and you go through enough of those you go hey I'm on a good trip this is going to be good a good trip of faith I'm on a faith journey and this is going to end good it's just it's not like magic there's steps and things and God brings us along and pretty soon we end up in these great places if you look at Romans number two there, it says, faith happens when God works with a receptive heart. A heart of love and tenderness is the opposite of what Jesus calls a calloused heart. Sometimes life can give you a calloused heart toward God, toward others. And actually, when you get calloused toward God, one of the worst things that can happen is you get hard toward other people. You always notice you're going to get calloused with God 
because you get calloused with other people. Matthew 13. Read these verses to us. That Jesus came to him, disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more. They'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And them has fulfilled the prophecy. You'll be ever hearing and never understand. You'll be ever seeing, but not ever perceiving. For this per- people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So a heart of love and tenderness is the opposite of what Jesus called a calloused heart. And faith happens when God works with a receptive, non-calloused, if we could say that, heart. Right? So you would think that it's supposed to be strong to have faith, but actually... It goes the other way first, just a receptive, open heart with the Lord. And then you begin to understand from a place of humility, and then you're going to get let God take over your life. Some of us have suffered years and years because we've been so callous, we didn't let God take over. He tried to help us. Sometimes He tries to help us with just circumstance. You notice that? Sometimes your worst circumstances that happen in your life are for you, not against you. Matter of fact, there's an interesting scripture. It says that John, I says, sorry, says that, that God causes all things to work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. You ever read that one? Could you just say that with me again? God causes all things to work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. So all you got to do is have a receptive heart, be called according to His purpose. God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for receptive people who will go with him on these faith journeys. The heart is really the key thing in having faith for a miracle or, or having faith toward anything. And uh, if you look at uh, John 5, 19 and 20, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Now listen to this. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So he's saying that the reason why he figured out what to do because he could feel the Father's love, his acceptance. And so he shows him all he does. So the Father loved the Son, showed him what he does. Yes, and he'll do, show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So the heart of miracles, the heart of supernatural activity, is that we do what the Father wants us to do. But before that, and I've, I beat myself up, like doing what the Father wants, doing what the Father's doing. I beat myself up with that one. I found out all I got to do is feel compassion from the Lord, and God shows me what to do. Often when I'm in the world, and especially these days, and I just want to say this to most of us in congregation, um, my greatest ally and help in terms of feeding and working with people and, and, and seeing miracles is love. So one thing that's been happening to me more and more, and I'm just so pleased by it because it opens the door for so many things to happen, is I'm gaining a deeper compassion for people than I've ever had. I know it's not from me. I know it's beyond me. And I think in this day and time, compassion is really a key thing. And so what I'm learning to do now is just do compassion first and calculate the cost later. It's the other way before, you know. 
And so I always know that I'm on when I feel God compassionate in me, especially for people in our culture, and they're everywhere, right? People aren't doing well. That's why we've paid such a hefty cost uh, for the warehouse to start and do what we're doing. Just chaos here all the time. But I love it. I smile because um, I feel compassion in the inside. If I did it because I should earn some brownie points with God, everybody could say, look at us, how great a work we're doing. We're feeding all these people, housing all these people, blah, blah, blah. You know what? What will degenerate very quickly is a religious spirit, and then I would be a mean little booger that you wouldn't even want to be around. And it'd be a mean little mean-spirited church. So the scripture says, Jesus said, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He's doing. So what I've learned to camp out is, okay, Father, what are you doing? So I'm always asking. I'm driving down the road. Is that guy mine or not? That guy that's in the liquor store buying, you know, passing out in front of the liquor store, is he mine or not? Before I go through all these things, oh, if I give him money, he's just going to spend it, buy some more liquor, all that. You know what? I learned I wasn't getting anyway that way just becoming religious. Pretty soon, I didn't want to give anything to anybody because I'm thinking about how many horrible decisions they made. Because that's why they're there in the first place. It doesn't make any sense, right? We kind of get into this place, well, you know, if that person like shows some promise, whatever. But if you're in a desperate enough place, you don't think like that. You're just trying to survive. And somebody needs to show compassion with you for you and step into it. But the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. So by compassion, I mean, if you open your heart, God will give you compassion. And don't worry about the outcome. Just give that money or give that help. Just go do it. Don't worry about what you get reward or the, you know, the turn on your dollar, you know, and all that. I mean, if God tells you to do it and you feel compassion, that's how I always know I'm supposed to do something. And then some tend to go, oh, no, God, you've got to be kidding why am I feeling so, I feel so sorry. Oh, no. Because then I'm realizing this is going to be a big one. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be a big one. I'm going to be investing in that person, and I don't know if they'll ever, I'm not sure how or when they'll ever get well. So when the Lord's moving on you and working in your heart, you start thinking a different way. If God didn't have supernatural love, you couldn't do it. You can't do it in your own strength. But it turns out that God cares for all the people of the world. So here's the key. For the Father loves the Son, so He loves you as His son or daughter, right? And then He shows Him what you're doing. He's doing. And it's not fancy. It's just, hey, I'm interested in that person. And you may not know much more than that. So then you start walking down the road. Okay, they're going to need a hotel. Okay, they're going to need food. Okay. Okay, what could I do? Okay, maybe I should. Okay. Sometimes it's only like, um, you know, I I have this happen to me a lot. And I I used to have a really hard time with it. I just conflicted. I'm not conflicted anymore. If I feel compassion for that person, I figure God's in it, right? For the Father loves the Son and shows Him what He does. In other words, for the Father loved Jesus, and then He would show Him what He's doing. But love wasn't just this general love. It's just a specific burden. So you know what to do. So sometimes I go, I feel this compassion with someone. I go, oh no. That one's going to be a hard one. Oh, I think I'll just walk on the other side of the road on that one. Then I feel the compassion. Oh, no. You got me, God. Okay, here I go. I jump into it, right? And sometimes it turns out great, and sometimes it doesn't turn out so great. 
But you know what? I feel really good about this. Because notice what he says. Yes, and he'll show him even greater works than these, so that you'll be amazed. So when you get in this pattern, you start small, but then he starts showing you bigger stuff, bigger stuff. And pretty soon your compassion grows. You respond a little way and it grows and it grows. I love Jesus because he's so simple. There's just simple obedience. But if he didn't give love, you couldn't do it. But every one of us has a measure of love, especially if you know Jesus. And so many people never help anybody, never help anybody that's weaker than themselves because they're too busy intellectually trying to figure out whether that person's going to waste the gift or do something stupid or this is going to be a waste of time. I cashed that check a long time ago. I don't do that anymore. If God said to do it, I do it. If I lose the money, I never see him come back, I'll never see him again, fine. Sometimes God says, don't do it. It's not ready. And I think, oh God, but sometimes I go that way too. But if you get the one established, you begin to learn the difference. And so you don't fail very many times by operating in too much compassion. And even if you do and you mess up, you go, oh, well, I could have done that more wisely, couldn't I have? And then you learn how to be wise. You get the compassion, then you get wisdom. This is how you learn to minister to people, especially deeply broken people, right? So, uh, I don't know, I just feel like I should just sort of focus there for just a moment. Um, let's go down to Roman numeral three. That's a miracle. I skipped three or four points there. <laughs> it must be Easter. <laughs> All right, so let's read uh, John chapter 20 as we move along here. So, God continually challenges you to believe in the obvious revelation of himself. In other words, there's a certain thing that's required of you to receive Jesus. You agree to say yes to the Lord. Sometimes it's occasioned by a baptism or you raise your hand or whatever, and then there's the follow-up where you just continue to say yes. But sometimes that first yes is a really big thing. And so we see that with Billy Graham conferences, just as I am, and all those people coming up, you know. Sort of romantic, you know. But sometimes I've thought a lot, you know, those years, and we don't see that many of Billy Graham anymore because of our environment and what's going on. But even altar calls, you know. And it looks so beautiful, and the music's just right, and the people are streaming forward, you know, and everything. But I often think, well, I wonder what's really going on inside that person. And I'm thinking, I'm hearing what they're saying, you know. I can't believe I'm walking forward doing this. What am I doing? Oh, my God. That person, I mean, that person looks like a murderer. I don't know. I think I'll go over here. Where is that altar anyway? Oh, God, I hope nobody prays for me. I'm just, I'm just going to, I don't know. God, why am I doing this? I'm doing it. Oh, I'm doing it. Oh, no, I'm at the front. Oh, no. Now they're going to make me pray. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so God loves faith. So that's why he carries you along into positions like that. Because with faith, he can do something with that. It's living and active. When you decide in your heart to do something, especially if it makes you afraid to do it or beyond you a little bit, like feeding people or helping them homeless or sharing the gospel with someone or giving somebody a, a spare room for a while. You know, when, when you're in that space, it, it, it's amazing uh, because it's powerful, but it's 
fearful at the same time, right? And, uh, and so he loves faith. So let me read these verses. This is, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with him, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. (laughs) Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, well, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the reason why I'm bringing up that story is because most of us are in that category, especially as we start out with the Lord. We believed and have not seen. We're just stepping out there. And sometimes it comes in taking steps in a place like this where you've never been before. Maybe today this is one of your first times ever here, right? It makes you feel really uncomfortable. Maybe it's in some other atmosphere. Maybe somebody approaches you on the street and you know they're speaking the truth to you, but you just don't know what's going to happen to you if you respond, right? So, but God always, this is one thing you know about God. He always responds in faith. So like if you're not 100% sure, but you have that little tug in your heart that you're supposed to pray for someone, give something to somebody, uh, that's it. This 100% brainwash thing doesn't happen very often. Matter of fact, I don't even trust myself when I get 100% brainwashed anymore. I always figure if I'm going to do something for the Lord or make a decision for the Lord or something, there's going to be some fear and insecurity in it. I just learned that. I mean, you would think by now I wouldn't be insecure about much, but I am, and I'm thinking, well, I'm just too insecure, I'm too afraid. But, you know, faith is interesting. Faith is just sometimes a seed. And that other stuff you're feeling is all the things that are warring against the seed because you know you need to do that. You know it's right. You know it's important. But fear is caving in on you, right? And so Thomas was in that, you know. And that's why Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So very few people in this room have seen Jesus, right? And very few of us in the room, maybe, I don't know how many, in our church maybe it's a little more unusual, have seen a miracle or a dramatic thing. But there's still faith. There's something that we haven't seen yet. There's still something inside of us that's moving us toward God. It's so important that we respond like this because... In God's kingdom, faith makes the world move. So like if you're insecure in praying for someone that's sick, insecure in praying for someone that's, um, that, you know, that, or give some money away or to even receive prayer or whatever, but you know what's the right thing to do. And, and, and I'm telling you, if you've got a little fear in you, like a little hesitancy or whatever, you're on the right track. Usually you're on the right track. You know that? I always thought, well, I have to be like this, you know, fully confident, whatever, but I don't know that I've ever received anything very dramatic uh, without some doubt. And sometimes the most dramatic things I've ever experienced have been one of the most fearful or hesitant times of my life. So I'm looking at Eddie Pjork over there. Hi, Eddie. It's nice to see you healthy in this church. And uh, so that fateful night, it was a fateful night. I visited your house. I was supposed to watch the Angels play that night. And my Swiss brother, who had never been to a baseball game, was making fun of me for going to your newcomer's gathering, making fun of me because I wasn't going to the baseball game. 
And he, he goaded me in every which way. You love baseball. Your sons play baseball. Yeah, yes, my sons play baseball. Don't you want to go? You can go. You're a pastor, for heaven's sake. Why would you want to go to that newcomer's thing? You're a pastor. You know what they're going to say. And you know Eddie as well. Aren't, have you already met Eddie? Yeah, I've already met him. No, you shouldn't go. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay. <laughs> but I made this little tiny mistake of just understanding. So in the inside, I, I just had a sense I was supposed to do something different. I was supposed to go to his house. And it was a really big temptation because the angels were playing. They were doing pretty good at that time. And it was just really hard, right? Plus my friend, I wanted to tell my friend from Switzerland all about the game and explain to him because he, he explained soccer to me. So I was going to explain baseball to all this stuff, right? So, so I'm found that uh, uh, when I took that step, it was the most dramatic step of my life. I had no idea what was going to happen next. And the Spirit of God fell on me in that little home group, and I have never recovered to that day. And that meeting, uh, that one and the meeting before it at John Wimmer's office, those two things are what have guided me to this place because I made a decision to go do something that I wasn't so confident about, but I knew probably had the revelation in it, right? And uh, so we we just need to learn how to do that. The facts of Jesus' life and teachings are the most reliably documented biography of any person in antiquity. Antiquity. He's the most influential person of all time. Blah blah blah. Right? But humanity's left in the uncomfortable position of having to believe Jesus is the resurrected Son of God, or else a liar or a lunatic. Because if you think about it, he was either lying, 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 or he's a crazy man, self-deluded, or he was God. And so then when you read what he says about life, even declaring things like, I am the way and the truth and the life, you can't afford not to vote for him and walk with him, right? Over 300 Old Testament prophecies given hundreds of years before were fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus wants to reveal himself to everyone if your heart is burning even a little bit, don't put out the fire by hardening your heart. I think some people's hearts are on fire today. Maybe it's about getting prayer for something. Maybe it's about making a decision for Christ. Maybe it's a, a decision to actually um, going to church or maybe making that more of a habit for your family. But if your heart's burning a little bit in that area, don't put the fire out by hardening it. It makes no sense to gamble that the claims of Jesus might not be real. Ultimately, his promise is eternal life. And so I can't think of a worse thing than to think of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do when I die? I've got enough fears to deal with without worrying about what's going to happen if I croak tomorrow, you know. I'm at the age where I could croak tomorrow, you know. But by the way, I've noticed anybody at any age could croak tomorrow, right? Nobody has any guarantees, right? Croak means die. <laughs> right? So we have this promise. It's called eternal life. Right? Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why this whole book's written, that you might believe understand who God is, and that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So today, I believe it's a great time. It's Easter Sunday, and um, I know we've got a lot to do, a lot of things outside there, and we're just going to get to those in a moment. But why don't we just stand for a moment? 
And I can't think about a, a better day than today than to have a miracle, right? So what I like to do is, this is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. So we sing this song. I can hear it in my mind. Things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again. <laughs> so I just challenge you today. Things that you think are dead might just be breathing in life again. And one way you bring them to life is you pray. And you simply respond. So it might be you want to recommit your life to the Lord. It might be you need prayer for a sickness in your body. In light of what I've said, I just encourage you to get prayer before you go outside or go do something. Just take a moment. Matter of fact, could I have some people that be willing to pray for people? Just come on up here to the front. And I'm just going to have a long prayer team up here. And, um, and I just encourage you to do a great step of faith because I don't think anybody's here by accident. And some of you have some things that are really bugging you. It may not be about being saved. It may be about being healed. It may be about a financial situation. It may be about a business decision. It may be about a move that you're wondering to make. It may be about something with your children and you're having a hard time making a decision and you'd like to pray about it. So what I'd like to do is, and uh, I don't know if there'll be enough people, probably will by the time we get through, but um, if you would just like to come up and pray about that, so I don't know if any, if you'd like someone to pray for you, that'd be great. We'll have a whole line of people to pray for you. If you don't, you just want to come up as an act of your faith, just taking a few steps and just saying, here I am, God. It's Easter. I'm in a strange place. I don't even live in this town, but here I am. And uh, you might be watching even online. I, I would just like on this Easter Sunday, what's the day today? The 9th of June. I would just like to lift in prayer this up to you because I'm concerned about it. The great news about coming to the front for most of you, unless you're extremely like really gregarious and like out there, you know, most of us are fairly shy, especially when it comes to our religion and, you know, spiritual things like private or whatever, just shy. But in light of what I said, could it be this Easter Sunday at Vineyard Community Church in Laguna Niguel, there might be a resurrection. There might be something you've been worried about, something you need prayer for, and they'll pray with you and agree, and then you'll begin to see that thing unfold just because you took the time and faith to do it. And you could just take two minutes and then go get your kids and do whatever, just two minutes. And you might not have anybody pray for you. Just stand up here as an act of your faith. Just come up here to the front. Just stand right here, right there, where there's plenty of room. And just say, God, here I am. Please help me. So I just encourage you to do that. I don't suppose anybody needs any help. Nobody needs any help with their business. Nobody needs any help with their health. Nobody needs any help. They're trying to have a baby, and they would like to have one, and they're barren right now. Nobody needs any help, I would suppose, in any other financial area, housing, whatever it is. But why don't you just ask God about it? You know, even if no one prays for you, just stand right there. You made the step of faith by taking 30 steps this way. You stand right there and say, God, I need this. Please have mercy on me. Just do that. Very scary when you do that. The only scary part really is about coming up to the front. But once it's done and heaven registers it, God calls that faith. And with faith, move 
mountains begin to move. Even little mustard seeds, tiny bits of faith. Just prayed even in desperation. Matter of fact, I think the desperate ones are some of the best ones, okay? So even if there's not a person to pray for you, why don't you just come up? There's room right here in front of me. I'm a very scary person, I know. But you can stand right there in front, okay? So, Lord, I want to ask you as we leave today and celebrate the rest of Easter, I'm asking that before we go, that you would just draw people up here just to say, Lord, would you have mercy on me and you fill in the blank? Or, Lord, I'm concerned about this. Would you give me guidance about my job? Would you give me guidance about this or that? And if you want to actually recommit your life to Jesus, you can come up here as well and somebody will be with you and, and uh, we'll be concerned for you and pray for you a little bit if you like. I'll do that if you like. So I want to just make sure that we have just, just anybody else. Okay? Now, I just want to make a little demarcation because I think that I, I can feel the faith in the room rising. So I'm just going to give a little bit more time for people to come forward. And as we come closer, you may end up on the side over there, or maybe it's too crowded and just be at your own chair. But you need God to move. You need a mountain to move. You need something to happen that isn't happening right now. Right? And you're just coming up as an act of your faith. You prayed on this day. uh, It's the 9th. And you're asking God for a miracle. You could even do it from your chair if you like. Something about stepping forward. We're not trying to get your name. We're not going to do anything. Somebody might come around and say, can I pray with you? So that'll be good. We're just going to make this into a big prayer meeting. Then remember, we have all kinds of food and all kinds of crazy stuff going on outside. Get your kids later and all that. Lord, in the name of Jesus, as we leave today, as we come in prayer, I pray, God, for miracles. Lord, for anyone that's doing in their heart what I ask, they're just asking God for a direction, asking God for a decision, asking God for something about their work, something about their health, something about uh, uh, whatever it is. I pray that you would hear from heaven today and you would answer every prayer that's prayed today. If you prayed alone, that's great. Or if you're praying with somebody, but I pray, God, we would see a miraculous resurrection Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen.